I feel that inspired energy is... That inspiration and something takes your breath away. The tie-in for inspired energy and fear. Inspired energy for me is the energy that you draw from others. You know, and I think that maybe fits into my definition of inspired energy. Like, right now, I'm in the zone. Inspired energy. So I think, for me, the inspiration comes from people. Being inspired to use up your energy. Inspired energy was what motivated me. Ah, inspired energy. This is episode 106 of the Inspired Energy podcast. And in this episode, I'm catching up with Dave Robinson. Now, Dave is a retired U.S. Marine Corps colonel, author, and senior advisor to Fortune 1000 companies in mission-critical industries. We cover effective leadership strategies, how to influence the culture when people aren't on board, and leading in high-pressure situations. Dave and I caught up at the back end of 2021 when his book, The Substance of Leadership, A Practical Framework for Effectively Leading a High-Performing Team, came out. Make sure you check it out. It's a fantastic book. There's links in the show notes. Now, prior to founding Vertical Performance Enterprises, Dave's company in 2011, he served in several executive leadership positions in the military, in the areas of strategy, operations, logistics, safety, human resources, training, and a lot more. Dave is also a former fighter pilot and Top Gun instructor. And in our conversation, we share some mutual respect for Rob Field, previous guest on the Inspired NG podcast. Shout out to you, Rob. Now, while also serving as the Director of Operations in Iraq, Dave was awarded the Bronze Star Medal for overseeing more than 20,000 combat missions and over 2,000 medical evacuations. As a Strategy Director for the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, David facilitated numerous studies used to develop the Pentagon's 10-year vision and budget for the Department of Defense. And in his final assignment, he was the Commanding Officer of a $12 billion dollar aviation enterprise where he managed a fleet of 250 jet aircraft and led over two and a half thousand personnel supporting global operations. David, I found to be such a knowledgeable, knowledgeable, um, gracious and humble leader with such um, a depth of experience. And it was so great chatting with him. We discussed what it means to develop a high performing culture within a team why strong leadership is vital to organizational success. And we hear about Dave's incredibly inspiring and a bit hair-raising lessons from the battlefield. Uh, Such a great conversation. And again, um, really want you to check out Dave's book that's linked in the show notes. It's an awesome book for anyone developing their leadership skills and a high-performing culture. Hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did with Dave Robinson. So good morning, good evening, David. Welcome to the podcast. I've just loved our conversation, getting to know you and chatting, and I'm really, really super excited to connect with you around leadership and all you've got to share. How are you? Murray, I'm doing well. It is evening here. Uh, Good morning to you and uh, really enjoyed getting to know you in the last few minutes here in our conversation. Such a privilege to be on your show and it's an honor. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's it's, uh, I'm to be honest, I'm going to share with everyone. I've been reading some of your book that's came came out in September, The Substance of Leadership, a practical framework for effectively leading a high performing team. It is honestly so full of insights and stories. I feel like there's a real head and heart connection throughout the whole book. The head giving us some real uh, understanding of the practical tools and the heart through the stories and and what you share. So I definitely want to talk to you about that. Uh, But before we get into that, um, what's life like for you now at the moment um, in October 2021? (laughs) Well, the book launched in September. That was quite a journey, 18 months from uh, when I started writing. It had been a decade in the making, Murray, but I finally, you know, when, when COVID hit, I, I thought what better time but to try to put my thoughts on paper and, uh, you know, ended up, you know, going through the production process over the summer and, and launched it here uh, last month. So October is um, kind of getting back into the swing of things with some travel. Uh, I've got a number of clients uh, that I love serving, and it's been great to 
you know, reconnect personally with them. And a lot of challenges have come out of the last year and a half uh, for a number of reasons. And so it's, it's great to be a thought partner with them and, uh, and as their organizations are changing and adapting and, and going to the next level. So that's, that's what I've been up to this month. Yeah. About you? Um, yeah. Well, it's a very similar. So a lot of my clients I've been working with uh, been online interactions, online workshops and sessions, but we're starting to shift back to face-to-face. And I think people are craving that face-to-face connection and moving forward. I think there's going to be a hybrid version with some online, some face-to-face. Um, and a bit of travel, uh, not as much as I was doing. And um, I do like a bit of travel, get to see the country, get to meet some people. Um, I like to support the small businesses when I do that, which is good. Um, I've heard for people that publish a book and write a book, it can be like having a baby. It's like this big build up, and then you've had the baby and now you've got to take that baby out in the world. How has that process been for you? Well, that's a great question. You know, I've, I've just started to have the chance to reflect, Murray, on, on the process and um, had a great publishing team, just an amazing editor. You know, you said something a minute ago and we can pull the string on it, but uh, I, I really did have to organize the book with my head. And this is the first time that I've ever written something that's not been kind of academically critiqued. Uh, you know, all of my previous work has been in an academic environment. So it was a real challenge for me to organize the book with my head, but to write it with my heart, which is not something that's always comfortable uh, for me, but I it was a great learning process. And so it was a real push to, um, to launch on September 21st. And I felt like I was crossing the finish line. And then my editor said, Dave, you're actually starting uh, crossing the starting line of a marathon. And so, <laughs> you know, I, really it's, it's the long view. Um, and I, I hope it will have impact for, for many people for a long time. So that's the way I'm looking at it, just looking at it from the long view perspective. Yeah, and, and sometimes when people write books, they write them for themselves to get that out of their system. And But what I'm hearing for you, what was important is getting the, your, your lessons, your insights out to other people, inspiring them. Yeah, I felt like I was really fortunate and blessed, Murray, to spend you know, two and a half decades in a, in a great organization, United States Marine Corps, with a lot of mentors who invested in me and, and poured great leadership lessons. And over the last decade, I've had a chance to share those with many executives, CEOs in the private sector who are experiencing the burden of leadership. And I, I realized that um, no matter where you are, what industry you're in, leadership is challenging. It's hard. And so it's just been such a privilege to try to share some of those lessons with people who are experiencing the challenges and the burden of leadership. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm a teacher at heart. And so I, I really enjoy whatever I can do to, to help others. I'll tell you, there were times of self-doubt when I was writing the book, wondering if anyone would actually read the book. I'm, I'm glad you, you're one of the people that started reading it. That's, that's encouraging. But, uh, you know, I always said, if this helps one leader out there to lead better, then it was all worth it. So what a journey it's been. And to distill your insights and experiences through the U.S. Marine Corps, that must have, I feel like you must have had more than one book in you. Because you've had some experiences and uh, some time, so two and a half decades in the Naval Academy and then in the Marine Corps. Um, how did you get that down to distill it to what you want to put in the book? Hmm. That's a really, really uh, insightful question and a tough question. I'll tell you, when I transitioned from the Marine Corps 10 years ago to the private sector, um, we, our, our family had done 13 moves in 25 years and I had three kids kind of in high school and it was, it was time to stabilize the family. And yep. to be honest, Murray, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do in my next career it was, a, it was a risk I was taking, but I knew that my passion was really helping leaders succeed. And so that's what I was focused on, got into management consulting, but I also started doing some speaking on leadership and, uh, around the U S one of my very first engagements was with a, uh, a group of about 300 executives in Los Angeles. And what they wanted me to do was talk about how to lead a high performing team in a high pressure environment. All of us are under pressure, whether you're yep. getting shot at, whether you have uh, you know, moving targets, sales targets, uh, you know, safety issues, whatever the, the, the case might be, everyone is under pressure. So that seemed to resonate with the audience. Well, I've got a number of uh, you know, notebooks of leadership lessons that I have over the years, two and a half decades of experiences. and. Uh, my challenge was they said I had uh, 45 minutes to do this talk. And I'm like, 
how do I synthesize <laughs> two and a half decade down into a 45 minute talk? But it was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. I talk about this in the introduction to the book because it really forced me to focus, Murray, on what I think matters most with regard to leading a high performing team. And so I landed on what I call the leadership triad, three areas, culture, people, and mission. If you can focus on those three areas, get those three areas right, keep them in balance, I think you have a really good chance of being a successful leader. So that was my 45-minute speech. And then when I turned that into a book, my first working title was the shortest leadership book you'll ever read, because the thing was only like 50 pages, right? And <laughs> so, uh, but over the last decade, I've had a chance to really grow that framework and find out in the private sector how to connect those three areas together and then how to apply those in a number of industries with a number of very practical challenges that people are facing. So that's how it evolved. And uh, uh, I'm, uh, you know, I've, I've learned so much in the process. So quite often leadership skills are called soft skills. Hmm. What do you think about that? Well, I think um, that's a good way to look at it. I mean, you know, I, I always feel like uh, one, one of my mantras is that leadership is people centric. And management is process centric. I think yeah. some of the hard skills fall into the management side of the equation. Don't get me wrong. I think you need both to be a successful leader because management is all about how you get people to work, you know, to get the work done. But leadership is people centric and people are complicated and all of us have egos and, you know, you can call them soft skills, you can call them whatever. I, you know, I prefer to think of them as uh, influ uh, influencing skills and how do we how do we influence people to work together and to set their ego aside for the good of the team uh, under a culture where you have psychological safety and everyone feels like they can trust each other, where people feel like they're taken care of and we're all working together toward a common mission uh, that's inspiring. And if you can get those three things together, call those soft skills, uh, call them people skills. I think that's what it's all about. Yeah. I, and we're so aligned, David, because I, I think, to be honest, I think soft skills is a bit of a, a misnomer because honestly it's hard it's hard it to engage with people it's hard to have those conversations as you talk about in your book building trust um, being aware of how you're showing up as a leader um, but let's go back for a second the leadership triad culture people and mission um, tell me when we explore culture and creating culture as leaders in essence, what's your message about how do we do that? How do we create that culture so that everyone uh, is putting aside their ego and creating that safety? How do you think we can do that? Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, I, I think um, what I have found is that high-performing teams, I could describe uh, in one word, and the word is trust. People trust each other. You look to your left, you look to your right, you know each, you have each other's backs. You're not always gonna be perfect. You're gonna let each other down, but you're vulnerable enough to trust each other. And so that's really what I think is the, what I call the center of gravity of a, of a high-performing culture. Well, the next question, Murray, from many of the leaders I work with is, okay, how do you develop a culture? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I try to I try to simplify it and say, look, you know, everyone has limited bandwidth and there are many philosophies about leadership. What I found in a very practical sense, I call them the three C's. The first is um, have character as a leader. Um, you know, when you have character, uh, primarily integrity, uh, I can trust your intentions that I know that, you know, if I'm working for Murray and you're the leader of the team, I can trust that, you know, you're always trying to do the right thing. And so that I think that's the starting point. That's that's a good foundation. The second C is competence, and that's all about our core mission and doing our best to be constantly learning and improving in our trade, whatever that might be, because uh, when Murray is competent as a leader, I can trust your actions. So now I can trust your intentions. I can trust your actions. The third C for me is composure, and all of us will face adversity. That's where true character shines, but if you can maintain your composure under adversity, and see those as opportunities to lead. Now I can trust your emotions. And so when Dave Robinson can trust Murray's intentions, actions, and emotions, I want to do the same. And then pretty soon that, that permeates into a culture of trust that I've seen uh, to be very effective for uh, successful teams. When I think about composure and uh, stressful situations and you overseeing 20,000 combat missions, and over 2,000 medical evacuations. You must have had that composure tested time after time. 
Yeah, I had it tested. In fact, in the book, I'll tell a quick story for your listeners. Um, you know, uh, one of the things I've noticed is uh, all of us have probably worked for a leader who doesn't react very well under adversity, especially you try to bring them bad news and they shoot the messenger three times and people just want to don't bring any news to the boss, right? Very quickly, they get disconnected from the organization. It's a shame. But when they panic under pressure, it's really catastrophic. It's, it's contagious. It can spread like wildfire. And, you know, it's an emotion. Uh, you know, I, I think that sometimes uh, under pressure, you know, we may sense the urge to panic, but the key is to maintain that composure because it really sets the tone for how our team responds. And I, I learned this firsthand in 2006. I was in charge of all of the air operations in Western Iraq. And uh, I was at a, at a base about 100 miles along the Euphrates River west of Baghdad. And we had 30,000 uh, soldiers and Marines on the ground and we had about 200 aircraft. And I was responsible for orchestrating uh, air support and medical evacuations in an area about twice the size of my state of home state of South Carolina, not nearly as big as Australia, I get it, but it's a, it was a pretty big uh, piece of real estate we were responsible yeah. for. Well, one afternoon, uh, we had five uh, simultaneous firefights break out, and, and the casualties were starting to mount. Um, it wasn't uncommon for one or two, but this was five all at once. And then I looked up at the video feed from the drone overhead our base, and I could see a large mob starting to form outside the front gate. Uh, of, the, of the base and speeding toward that mob along two separate dusty roads were two white sedans, uh, you know, traveling at a high rate of speed. And then as if, if it couldn't have gotten worse, we started taking mortar fire on the north side of the base where all of our helicopters were parked. So I realized that we were under what we called a complex coordinated attack, right? We had something going on at the front gate, five firefights in our AOR, uh, mortar fire where all our helicopters were parked, Casualties were mounting. People were screaming for air support. They were screaming for medical evacuations. I'll be honest with you. I, I started to sense the urge to panic. Yeah. And I had a flashback to three years earlier. I was in a classroom. I, I love learning. I was listening to a retired uh, three-star general named Hal Moore. And he wrote a book called We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Uh, if you or your readers or your listeners haven't read it, uh, it was turned into a movie by the same name. Mel Gibson played uh, Hal Moore. And there was one thing, Murray, I remember he said that day. He said, if you find yourself in a combat situation where lives are on the line and you're in charge, I can guarantee you, you will begin to feel the urge to panic. It's human nature. Yep. When that happens, you need to take a deep breath, remain calm, because if you begin to panic, everyone around you will panic and it will only get worse. And I realized, Murray, I was in that moment that General Moore was talking about three years earlier. So I huddled up my air support team and I said, uh, I just need to say two things very quickly. First of all, this is a bad situation. I need you to think outside the box, be as creative as you possibly can, use whatever resources you can use to, to uh, save as many lives as possible, number one. And number two, whatever you do, take a deep breath before you keep the, key the microphone because if they sense that we're panicking in the command center, it's going to spread like wildfire out there in the battle space. And I said, wherever you do, just keep me informed so I can have your back. Yeah. And so they went to work and it's just some amazing, creative, high pressure thinking. Uh, we had our fixed wing air support director uh, had an F-18 on, on final approach with a little bit of extra gas. He told them to do a low flyby over the gate. You've been at an air show before. You know what an airplane going yeah. supersonic at 100 feet. Everybody crouches down. The two sedans stop trying to figure out what's going on. Our quick reaction force found out that it was a, a two I, in, in, improvised explosive devices in those vehicles setting up for a suicide attack, but we were able to stop that in time. Uh, then we had our uh, attack helicopter director send uh, two Cobra helicopters over the area where the mortar fire was coming. That, that gave us some breathing room. That gave, you know, that stopped for a while. And then one of the most creative things I've ever seen, um, one of our, our cargo helicopter controller she had a four ship of CH-53 Echo helicopters, really large uh, cargo helicopters yeah. that were uh, carrying a, a lot of cargo, had them set down in the middle of the desert, unload the cargo, set up a temporary security perimeter, and then use those helicopters for uh, you know, med medical evacuation missions. And it was just a remarkable response by the team due to their credit. Uh, I, I wish I could tell you that we saved everybody that night. I can't tell you that, but I can look that you uh, in this uh, you know, video, and I can tell you 
uh, we did the best we could yep. given the given the circumstances that, that was unfolding. I was so proud of that team. And I was so thankful for that advice that General Moore had given me three years earlier. And just to clarify, you just said that uh, at night. So what time was this all happening? Yeah, it was in the evening. It was at dusk. And uh, it was kind of interesting. You know, a lot of the Iraqis had day jobs, so to speak. And then it was very, very hot. You know, it was, uh, yeah. you know, late, late spring. And, uh, you know, as the as the sun started to go down and the cool temperature started to uh, to bring the ambient temperature down, that's when the fighting heated up. And that's when people, you know, changed uh, into their fighting uniform, so to speak. And that's when the that's when the tough stuff really happened. That simple um, message of breathing, pausing, and what I take from that too, David, is the ripple effect that we can pass on as leaders without realizing it. Yeah. And how important that you pass that on to everyone in, in your leadership group that in that moment to make sure that they're aware of that. Um, in hindsight, how do you think that innovation came out because I'm hearing the innovation where did that come from do you think in that moment yeah I don't want to I don't want to take any credit here because all of that came from what General Moore told me to do and a lot of great leaders but I think it came from a couple of things first of all when you're a leader everyone is watching you yeah uh, you, you may not realize it. you may not know it they're listening to every word they're watching you they're especially watching you in a crisis under pressure to see how you're going to respond and they're going to cue off of that and so I think by taking General Moore's advice, taking a deep breath, remaining calm, as, as uncalm as I was inside, that, that was uh, you know, one of the first contributors. Um, but Murray, the other thing I think was, um, I, I told them what needed to happen, but I didn't micromanage the how, right? I, I, I told them, do whatever it takes to use whatever resources you can to save as many lives as possible. You go figure that out. Just tell me what you're doing so I can have your back. They knew I had their back. I was accountable, but I was asking them in the heat of the moment. I didn't have time to micromanage all of this yeah. because we would have gotten behind. But I had people that were thinking ahead and, and felt like I had their back. I think those two things are what made the difference. Yeah, and just such a strong, strong link back to what you're talking about before and that center of gravity of a high-performing team being trust. You had their trust. They trusted you and, um, and empowered them. There was so much empowerment in that moment. Well, I would like to hope so. I mean, I certainly, uh, that's one of the hardest lessons I've learned as a leader. As a junior leader, it's, it's common. It was common for me. I learned this the hard way to, um, to try to tell people what to do and how, because it's, hey, I'm, I'm the leader. I, I should know what I'm doing, right? So this is what you need to do. When in reality, if you'll just tell people what and let them figure out the how, I found that 90% of the time, if not more, they had a better solution than I would have come up with. Yeah. Uh, and, and thank you so much for sharing that story. I could feel it. I had the hair rising up on my arms and, 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 and picturing the, that moment, that stress and, and the, the quick thinking that was needed in that moment. But it's interesting because what I'm thinking about as I'm saying that is quick thinking but at calm at the same time mm. and how important that is. Um, I feel like that's that's linked beautifully to the leadership triad around culture and people. Can we explore mission a little bit? When you talk about mission of a high-performing team, what does that look like? Well, I think uh, once again, I'm, I can I can count to three, and, and I'm not sure I can count to much more, Murray. But at least I can count to three. There are there are three things in the you know in the triad, and then within each of those elements of the triad, there are three things that I think uh, really contribute and move the needle on uh, mission success. The first is prioritization. I mean, we live in a world where in the last 20 years, information saturation, the volume and velocity of information flow is overwhelming. Mm. And it's so easy to get, you know, attention deficit disorder and just, you know, everything is a priority. But you know what, when everything is a priority, as, as the saying goes, nothing is really a priority. This is one of the most common challenges that, that I see leaders and executives uh, wrestle with right now. So Prioritization, I think, is really the foundation for mission success. I found that if you have more than three to five priorities, then you need to rethink those because uh, it really starts to distract, you know, what you're really focused on. And, and the goal here is to keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, otherwise, you risk being average uh, at what matters most. And that's not the goal of anybody. So you got to figure out what matters most, really prioritize and focus on that. I think that's the foundation. So can I, think, I ask, David, on, on that, if... As a leader, you're listening to this and thinking, you know what, I just feel overwhelmed. I've got 
not three to five priorities. I've got 15 or 20. Um, what's your insight to sort of get clear on what are the real priorities right now? Well, I think, first of all, you need to really understand what your mission is, right? I mean, if you can clearly define your mission, and, uh, you know, I, I always recommend uh, trying to put a little clarity on this, Murray, with something I call a leader's intent. And uh, you start out a leader's intent at a very high level by defining very clearly and succinctly, what do you think your team's mission is? And I, I think there's two parts to that. First of all, is the task, what we need to accomplish. Yeah. And then there's the purpose. That's the why. I think it's, that's more important than anything. If you can understand your why, I think your prioritization flows from your purpose. And then finally uh, would be to try to paint a picture of what success looks like. That would be the vision. So if you can really focus on your mission and your vision with your prioritization flowing from your, from your purpose, I think that's a great starting point. And I don't think it hurts to number one, ask your people, what do you think <laughs> it's gonna take to achieve this vision, yep. right? Yep. And then number two, make sure you're aligned with your boss because you could have all the priorities in the world. And if you're not aligned with your boss's priorities that misalignment is going to mm -hmm challenging to achieve your mission so love to hear your thoughts that would be my initial reaction well i i think the thing that jumps out to me is in the busyness and as you were talking about the information overload and and having so many priorities that people just keep going on what they're doing yeah. and taking the time out to pause and reset and ask get clarity with the team with your manager with the rest of the leadership team you might be a part of and let's have that conversation. Let's get clear. Let's not just keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. And I think there's a link back to, you know, in, in your story before about pausing and pausing here to actually to actually take the time and go, what are our priorities right now? And let's get absolutely clear on that. Let, let's not just keep charging ahead. Yeah. I think that is really uh, insightful. I mean, I, I'll tell you, in, in the military, it's common for your boss to tell you that everything's a priority. Just get it done, right? Suck yeah. it up. I, when I rolled, my final assignment was here in South Carolina. I had a, a Marine Air Group with about 2,500 people, 100 aircraft or so. I was coming here from the Pentagon and I was developing my leader's intent. And um, it, it, when I added up all of the kind of priorities that the organization had, there were about 50 things, Murray. It was a stack of books about eight feet high. It was taller than me. And I'm thinking to myself, is this realistic? So as a leader, the first question is, is this even realistic? So I'm kind of a math geek. I did a little analysis and I added up all the time requirements in that eight feet of, of you know, instruct military yep. instructions, gotcha. divided that by the number of people in the air group. It came out to 26 hours per day. And that didn't include eating or sleeping. <laughs> so I went with my, I went to my boss and said, this is yep. literally impossible, right? So as a leader, you know, we need to give our people time to find balance, work-life mm -hmm. balance. They have other priorities, personal priorities, family priorities. So maybe just start by doing the drill on about how long do you think it would take you to do all these priorities? And if it doesn't fit in a, an acceptable workday, then you need to start whittling it down and, and make some hard calls. Yeah, that's so, so powerful. And I think when you've got that um, data to actually just let's, let's get really clear whether you need to do the full Excel spreadsheet on that one, or you can do a, you know, the postage stamp um, or back of the envelope type analysis, but let's get clear on what are the numbers telling us? Do we have the people and the time to do what we're trying to do? Yeah. Do we have the resources to get done what we think we can get done? Otherwise, we just frustrate people and set ourselves up for failure. And, yeah. and I think, David, 2020, 2021 has, has highlighted this even more with the situations we've had with COVID and working from home and not working from home and different arrangements and people's priorities. I think it's just highlighted this even more. No doubt. I've seen some of my consulting teams. It's, it's amazing that you get used to, uh, you know, 12, 14 hours of back to back to back Zooms, right, with no breaks in between. And now that we're traveling again, they're like, well, why, why didn't you join the meeting? And you're like, well, I was 35,000 feet, you know, traveling here. <laughs> you know, we just don't, we don't process the reality of time and space. And so uh, that, that's, that's a challenge. So three keys to mission focus. Prioritization was number one. Let's, That's the foundation. Yeah, I think yeah. preparation, preparation is the is the second. And that is, as leaders, I always, I always encourage us to think, what are we doing today to prepare for tomorrow's opportunity so that we're more proactive and not so reactive? And so I think we have the foundation of prioritization. And then uh, preparation is really what forms mission success. And then the third P that I talk about, Murray, is passion for excellence. And that's all about setting high standards as a leader. Um, holding ourselves to an equal or higher standard to inspire people to try to achieve that standard. 
and then coaching our and developing our people to achieve that standard. And, you know, I, I think people really want to be coached and developed if it's yeah. done in the right way to achieve that high standard. And uh, I've always found that people really want to be a part of something that's larger than themselves. And uh, that's, that's a challenge for them as long as they're given the opportunity to grow and develop into that role. In the um, Naval Academy or in the Marine Corps, where you've got people that aren't passionate about the work, is that a coaching conversation um, or is that more direction around, I'm just going to tell you what needs to happen? Like how, is there a bit of uh, situational leadership, do you think that's at play there at times? Or, or how, how are you developing that passion for people in, in that type of organisation? Yeah, what I found was, um, you know, I, I think when you say in the military, I think if we were to rewind the clock 30 years, my answer might be a little different. But yeah. what I found is, you know, with the information revolution, uh, information's being democratized, people have access to information, people sometimes know more than I did about what was going on. And so what I found was that, you know, do this because I told you so doesn't work anymore. Yeah. I'm not sure if it ever worked, but uh, we at least we thought it did. And so now what I find is that if you can get people to understand the importance, the why behind what you're asking them to do to get them on board with the mission, that's where I find the light bulb come on, so to speak, in terms of inspiring them so that they can actually understand why it's important. And then step two is to help show them mm. where they fit into that big picture, where they are a direct contributor into that mission. And so now if Dave Robinson can connect my daily contributions to where uh, it's gonna make an impact, I'm, I'm a lot more passionate about achieving that standard than if Murray just says, Dave, go do this because I yeah, told you. Yeah, 100%. And we'll say, uh, we were talking before um, we started the conversation on the podcast about uh, my cousins that are in the Navy as well. And uh, one of them has been in there for, I think, 35 years. Um, Glenn, I hope I get that right. Um, yeah. And that he talks about the journey that he's seen around that shift in leadership and and. Uh, developing that passion and that engagement through coaching versus a direct delegation. That said, he said, there's time for that, you know, in, in different situations where, you know, if it's, you know, where um, uh, in a practice and in a drill and we need to actually be very direct in our communication, that's needed in that time. Yeah. And I think that's where there's a link around with leadership is being aware of, you know, the different styles of communication that's needed different times to engage and to, and, and to communicate. Yeah. Murray, for sure. You know, I mean, there've been many crises that I've been involved in where I had to get into direction mode and, um, you know, uh, you don't have time to really seek input, coach and develop people, but, you know, preceding that, uh, there was a, an opportunity to earn trust. Why? Because you actually coached and developed people because they, they knew you had their best interest at heart. Yep. They knew the why. They also knew how they fit into the big picture. And so when those crises came up and you, in the interest of time, you just had to make you know, tough decisions in a very quick manner, then people were willing to get on board and do it. When you reflect on your journey, was there a leadership lesson, David, that you feel like that you just kept on learning, like it kept on coming up for you? Well, I mean, I, I think that there was a um, there was a really long learning process of what I call uh, as a, as a leader, as a senior leader, of listening first and speaking last. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't a light switch; it was a rheostat for me. Uh, it was it was you know early on trying to assert my credibility and speak first with my team because I needed to be the one that knew what the right answer was. And then I would find some trusted individuals who. I would go have a back conversation with and ask their opinion. And pretty soon uh, toward the end of my career, I got to the point where I'd be at a conference table with 12 other very, you know, successful executives that reported to me. And I would go around and say, here's the issue. What do you think? What is your opinion? Because as soon as I spoke, that almost started to stifle innovation. Yeah, creativity. Gotcha. All of us have a hard time opposing the boss, but I encourage them to disagree I rewarded people who would disagree. Uh, it took me some time to become confident enough as a leader that I was able to be humble enough to accept disagreement and, and really encourage that debate. But once the decision was made, we all got behind it to support it. And, and that's really the challenge. And so that journey was something that I continued to learn over and over and I'm still learning. 
me too. I mean, I, I hear you totally on that one. Um, and um, that, I mean, there's such a strong link back to what you're talking about before about ego and uh, and creating a culture where that ego, we can set that aside. Because when you, you are the first to talk, you know, how much of that has been driven by ego versus, as you said, I want to sit back and listen. It's yeah. not about me. It's about the collective and about what's the best solution. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, many, many studies done. Another thing I learned, uh, you know, the neurochemistry behind leadership, I learned a lot when I was researching uh, my book. And, you know, just the idea of a psychologically safe space where the leader not only sits back and listens, but also uh, you know, is, is able to compliment people for, wow, I had never thought of that. That's that, 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 that was not my perspective, but, you know, credits to you for bringing that up and just where people feel comfortable sharing their honest opinions without feeling like they're going to be ridiculed or, or any type of condescending comments. That's where the power of innovation and high performance decision-making really starts to blossom. And, you know, one of the things I learned uh, even more than that, Murray, is as a leader, sometimes it's important for us to tee up differing opinions and actually insert some conflict into the discussion that you may not agree with just to get your team thinking about it from mm -hmm. a different perspective. And even if Murray is dead set that this is my opinion, I might even ask you to play your own devil's advocate just to get you thinking from the other side of the, of the coin, so to speak. So just getting people to think creatively without fear of any type of retribution was something that uh, was really a powerful lesson. Yeah, and, and of course you can't do that without creating that culture of psychological safety, can you? No, you can't, it, it just doesn't work. No, not at all. Um, I've got a few more questions for you, David, and I want this one we haven't uh, rehearsed or prepared and I just want to throw it out there for you. And I, it's one that's just popping in my head because I feel like you've got so much value to, to share for leaders. And I, honestly, I'll make sure there's a link to your book in the show notes for that, so everyone can reach out and grab a copy of it. But my question is actually, I want to see if you could distill that down, if your leadership message, if I gave you a billboard on the side of the highway and every car was going to drive past that billboard. So everyone's going to see your message on that billboard. What do you want to have written on that billboard? Yeah, that's a great question, Murray. Um, that's a tough question, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I, think, I think I would, uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll coin it here, I, I don't know. I, I, it's something around what I call the leadership paradox. And it's a little bit along that journey that I just described to you of mm. what I learned over my three, decade, three decades of, uh, of a leadership journey and, and learning and experience. I think it be, might be something around let go. You know, as a leader, we want to hold on. Yeah. We want to maintain control. We want to keep our hands on the wheel. I've trained, uh, I've flown 3,000 flights in my career. I've trained hundreds of pilots. And I, in the back seat, there was a stick back there for a reason when you're training a new pilot, right? Yeah. Sometimes I had my hand on the stick, sometimes I didn't. But at some point, if they're ever going to solo, you have to let go. And it's something around what I call the leadership paradox, because what I found is the more you let go and give to your people as a leader, the more you get from them in return in terms of high performance. And, uh, you know, there are two ways that I found to really let go and give to your team. The first is to focus on what you need to do, but let your people figure out the how. Get your hands off the wheel. Tell yeah. them what needs to be done. Let them figure out the how, right? Let go of the wheel there. And the second piece is letting go of yourself. Uh, in many ways, it's about um, taking care of your people so that they know beyond a doubt that you care more about their welfare than you care about your own. If you can let go of yourself, let go of your ego and serve your people, they will do anything, anything, anything to take care of your mission. And so I think that's what the billboard would say, let go. And I hope somebody would go and Google that and maybe <laughs> unpack that a little bit. Ah, oh, David, I, I love that so much. That is so powerful. And I love the, the two elements of the let go. Let go for others and let go for yourself as well. Yeah. Um, and so tell me, what is it like when you are training someone to fly? Cause you just took us there for a moment and you know, there, there's gotta be so much trust in that moment of, or in those moments 
of, as you said, handing over the controls to this person that's that's taking control of an aircraft. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that like? That's a that's a great question. I love talking about it. You know, it really depends. Let me caveat it. First of all, it depends on what level of the person you're training. So I've trained everyone from the commanding officer of a squadron of, a, of an F-18 training squadron where we literally had brand new aviators that had just gotten their wings of gold, but they had mm-hmm. never flown the F-18 before. And we had nine months to transform them from a basic aviator uh, in jet aircraft to someone who could fly off of aircraft carriers and deploy in combat, you know, yeah. nine months later. So that was, that was one level. The other level was as a Top Gun instructor where you have the best of the best that are going through a very demanding course. And these are really talented, experienced aviators. And so the two skill sets are very different, but there are a lot of things that, uh, that, that are in common. Uh, the first is tremendous, tremendous preparation. I mean, simulators after academics, after tests, after you name it, before they even hop in the aircraft. Yeah. Once they hop in the aircraft, it's two seats, right? There's an instructor in the back and there's a student in the front and there are a, a number of, uh, of, of standardized uh, procedures and things that they need to do right. That's on the, on the, on the aviators that are just learning to fly the airplane. But at Top Gun, it's, uh, it's very similar in the sense that preparation uh, is, it's, it's so intense and so robust. And then when you get out there, you always have a wingman. And so uh, you're always flying with each other in mutual support, not in the back seat, but, you know, wing, you know, side by side. Yeah. And it's, you always start with a, what we call a demo do whether you're training brand new aviators or whether you're training t- uh, t- Top Gun pilots, watch me do it and then we're gonna let you do it. And yeah. so setting the example and being credible, that goes back to that, you know, to that second C that we talked about was confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Setting the example, showing them the way and then teaching empathetically, I found were really the key for what it's like to be an effective instructor training people to fly the airplane. And that is, I've probably made more mistakes in my career than than you will ever make, but I understand how hard this is. Let me try to tell you some things I've learned the hard way. Whatever you do, don't do this, and everything will, uh, you know, should work out. But at the same time, uh, Murray, there's some very uh, high standards that you have to hold people to, and the hardest thing to do is to fail people on a flight. And quite frankly, the hardest thing I've ever done was to uh, have to fail someone out of the squadron, and and they they they, they couldn't fly anymore just because of safety issues, yeah. and uh, we just couldn't take that risk. And so it's it's gut wrenching in that regard. But um, what a rewarding opportunity to that's the thing I enjoyed doing most was taking new aviators in a very demanding dynamic environment, pouring my heart into them, and then watching them succeed and see the light bulb come on. It just doesn't get much better than that. Can we just explore something for a minute, David? So, you know, with the leaders I work with, you know, there's times where they need to have the tough conversation, the genuine conversation, like you've had to where you've failed someone out of that squadron where they haven't passed. What's your insight about how we can have those conversations in a real genuine, authentic way so that people can move forward um, from that situation? Yeah. Well, I think a few things come to mind, Murray, and then I'd love to get your thoughts with your experience here. Um, I think, first of all, it has to be um, that the conversation needs to be founded on and, and started with trust. I, I think if, if I'm having a difficult conversation with you for whatever reason, it's important for me to make sure you understand before we talk about anything else that I, I know you're doing the best you can and I trust your intentions. It's not mm. like you intentionally went up there to make a mistake and do a bad job, right? Um, yeah, second. Yeah. Second, I wanna make sure you understand that I'm empathetic. Um, I know how hard this is. I know how challenging it is. And I'm probably gonna share a story or two about some of the mistakes that I've made that are worse than what the mistakes that you just made. You might've failed a flight, but I'm gonna share some stories about some flights that I failed because now you know that I have your back. I have your best interest at heart. You know that I've been there. I know how it feels. And now I'm gonna start to unpack in a way that tries to depersonalize it what happened from a performance perspective, and then close the book, so to speak, with how can we work together to get you to the next level? Failing flights was one of the least favorite things that I ever did, the most humiliating things I've ever experienced. But when I had an instructor, it was like, look, we're going to get through this. It's important you get it right because there's a lot lot at stake here, a lot of lives on the line, and we want to make sure you're the best you can be. I responded very well to that. What what do you think? Uh, I'm 
we're so aligned, David, honestly. I think about ex explaining the intent, um, talking with empathy, uh, a foundation of trust. Hmm. Um, I would add not rushing the process. I think that can be a trap that leaders can slip into where I've just got to get this conversation done, yeah. where I can definitely hear in your style as a leader and the insights you share, it's about let's take time for our people. Make, let's not rush these conversations because I think that's so important. Um, and as you said, well, what's next? How do we work forward? How do I continue to support this person for success beyond this moment, whatever that may look like for them or for, for you collectively or as a partnership? Because I think that's important. So it's, it doesn't leave it hanging like there's a, okay, so where, where do we go to from here? Yeah, I love that. I, I love the not rushing aspect. And I'm going to build on one, th one more thing when you said the what's next. And that is, I found it effective to try to uh, not tell them what's next, but to ask them what they think is next. Yeah. You ask questions, you get them to come to their own recommended solutions, you problem solve with them, you come to an agreement and align on that, and then they own that that improvement, right? And so they feel like that they they are really the one driving their own improvement. Yeah, definitely. That's a, such a valid point, such a great point, David. So right now, your company, Vertical Performance Enterprises, is working with a range of companies. Who, who do you love to work with now? Well, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot of uh, Fortune 500 companies, and I, it, was, it was a great education. I've, I've transitioned out of the military uh, a decade ago, and um, boy, that was just such a, a great education for me and, and a number of industries because leadership, you know, spans every single industry, right? Yeah. And uh, I do a little bit of risk management work and some, some, uh, some operations and some strategy work, but my passion is all around how leadership can be a force multiplier uh, for helping you achieve your strategic and operational goals mm -hmm. and how as a leader, we can help lead our organization through the change that we need to get to from where we are now to where we want to be. And so that's, that's really where my passion is. But what I found Murray was um, I got introduced to a CEO of a biotechnology company uh, up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, a sister company of Moderna. And we know how important that is right now with, yep. with COVID. Right? Um, and um, I found that I really love startup and mid-sized companies because leadership in many ways is their ceiling. Uh, you know, they have tremendous, brilliant technical expertise, particularly in, in tech and biotech companies. In order to get to the next level, they have to grow and scale. In order to grow and scale, you have to have leaders that you can develop and delegate to. And so that's where uh, I've really found uh, great enjoyment with uh, startup and mid-sized companies, really helping those executive teams work together as a high-performing team and then coach and develop other young leaders to be all that they can be as well. Yeah, wow, and so needed. Um, and I love what you're explaining there about the ceiling because I'll get to a certain point because they've been relying on that technical expertise in whatever field it is. Um, and like going back to what we're talking about before about how important trust is, building that mm -hmm. foundation of trust in all that they do and um, even shifting and letting go, letting go like you talked about before to help them move forward. That's right. Um, David, this has been absolutely wonderful. I really appreciate your time. So much, so many leadership lessons, insights, um, and real practical tips for leaders. Uh, I really encourage everyone to check out the Substance of Leadership, a practical framework for effectively leading a high-performing team. It's a fantastic book. So many things that David talks about that we've touched on today, but in a much more detailed way to give you strategies to help you with your team and have those conversations and build that culture so i'll make sure there's a link of that in the um in the show notes and check that out um and what what have you got planned david just to to change topic for a little bit here what do you got planned for the rest of the year well rest of the year i've got some uh, really exciting clients that i'm just starting some projects with i've got the, the holidays coming up i've got the three kids who are grown adults they're going to be home for the holidays uh, to some extent between thanksgiving and christmas really looking forward to that because you know, uh, that, that's um, something we haven't had the opportunity to do as much as we would have liked to over the last 18 months. So that's what I'm most excited about. And I'm excited about uh, 2022 and, uh, you know, just um, just continue to help leaders take their teams to the next level. So that's that's exciting in and of itself. Yeah, I, I, I hear you totally. Um, and I, I honestly, David, I'm surprised at how fast this year has gone. Doesn't it feel like it's just gone like that? Absolutely. I can't believe it's, it's almost November. It's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, it's gone super quick, but um, yeah, very similar. We're, we're starting to make some plans for the end of the year and early next year. The challenge is everyone else is making plans. So 
trying to get uh, some accommodation plans or some travel plans. It's like now when everything's opening up, everyone's starting to book things. So we've got to make sure we get on top of that. Yeah, I got to come down uh, down under in 2022, though. So that's uh, I need to put that on my agenda. for sure. Ah, well, you would uh, you would love it and people would love to to hear from you. So we'll, we'll make sure we talk about that. Yeah. I do ask a question from everyone on the podcast and uh, it is the Inspired Energy podcast. And I feel like I've got it today in this conversation with you, but I would love to know, David, what is your definition of inspired energy? Oh boy, I should have, I should have prepared for this. <laughs> inspired energy. You know, I, I have a chapter in the book, as you know, where I talk about inspiring and empowering teams. And I've thought uh, long and hard, Murray, about really what it means to be inspired and to have that energy. And I, I think uh, inspired energy for me is really around being emotionally invested in your mission and having a passion for excellence around that mission. So the emotional investment is the inspired part and the passion for excellence is the energy part. You put those two together, Murray, I think uh, the sky's the limit. Oh. David, that is just fantastic. And it was such a great way to end this conversation. I can feel that. And, and this is the thing, when we talk about inspired energy, it's not just in the head, it's in the, in the body. And I can feel that one. So I, I love that definition. Thanks again um, so much for your time. Um, if people want to find out more about you, where's the best place to find you online? Yeah, go to my website, uh, verticalperformance.us. And uh, I have a thing on there called the performance pressure test. If you want to take five minutes and find out if you're leading a high performing team, it might give you some things to think about uh, based on your answers to that. And uh, you talked about my book already. So, uh, but that's where they can, they can find me and, and learn more. Yeah, great. All right. We'll make sure we've got a link to that and definitely check out that pressure test because that'll give you some insights as to the culture of your team as well, David, that's a, a great thing for people to do. So Again, thank you so much, David, for your time. It's been such a wonderful conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Murray. This was so much fun. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you.